0: So great to have you in church with us this morning, and happy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day. Congratulations on having a mother. Uh, If you're here, uh, we've all had a mother. If you're here with your mother, welcome to church today. My name is Pastor Jeremy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Bethel, and we're so glad to have you. For those of you joining us online, like Pastor Adrian said, so glad to have you tuning in with us today. Uh, My question for you this morning is, have you ever been searching for something that you misplaced? And you've looked, yeah, people already, uh, you know, whether it's your keys, your wallet, maybe it's the paperwork that you, you're like, I know it was right here. And, uh, and maybe you've gone through every drawer, every pocket, you've got all the couch cushions in disarray, and you can't find it anywhere. And then someone comes in with a fresh set of eyes and finds it right there in front of you. Have you ever experienced that? It's like, it's right there, right? It, you're, you're like, I, I can't find it anywhere. And they're like, here it is, Right? And for all you moms, right? You probably say like, "Here it is, right where I told you it was, right? Right? That's that's the experience for all the moms. But sometimes it takes a fresh set of eyes or a fresh perspective, or a new outlook to see clearly what is right in front of you. I have a little bit of fun uh, for us this morning, and uh, so I got a couple uh, illusions. And uh, so if you throw my first one up there, Danny. And uh, so what do you see in this picture? Who sees a man looking to the side? Anyone see a man looking to the side? Who sees a man looking head on? Right? If you see them both, say, I see it now. Uh, you see it now? All right. All right. Here's the next one. How many people are in this picture? Who sees one person? Three people and a dog. Three people and a dog. Everyone see five people in this picture? It might be a little hard for you to see five. There's two faces kind of on the side there a little bit. All right. Okay. Now this next one, before before we throw it up there, don't throw it up quite yet, I've got to tell you how to do it, okay? I'm going to throw up some pink dots on the screen. Look at the pink dots. See what they're doing. And then in a moment, after you see what they're doing, then I want you to focus in on the cross in the middle and then see what happens, okay? So throw it up there. This is the pink dot. Seeing isn't always what's in front of us, is it? You know, we're not always seeing everything that's in front of us, the same way that we're not always seeing everything that's within us. Sometimes we need a fresh perspective. We need a fresh set of eyes to see things in a new way, to see the full picture, to see more clearly, more fully. And I love this illusion. This is, this ties right in. When you stare at the cross... You see more than you ever saw before. You see the big picture more fully, more accurately. But that's what we're going to see today as we turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We, we started last week a new series in Ephesians called Made New. And this is a nine-week journey that through the Apostle Paul's letter. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, to new Christians, to believers in Jesus, and uh, people who had become part of the church family that he had planted. He, Paul's writing this letter in about 63 AD, and uh, we know that he planted the churches in eastern Turkey and the Middle uh, Asia uh, around uh, 55, uh, 54 AD. And so this church is about nine or ten years old. and Paul's writing to them to encourage them. And and Paul's in a different place in life right now. Paul's in a prison cell uh, in Rome. And he's been imprisoned for inciting mischief and rebellion by preaching that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That Jesus is the one sent by heaven to heal the brokenhearted and to uh, set captives free and to rule with heavenly authority. And so there had been this movement of Jesus followers with uh, Paul being a big part of it and he'd been arrested at this point. And as we looked at the book of Ephesians, we talked about how Paul had written 13 of the 27 New Testament books, and, uh, and this Ephesians letter uh, has often been called the crown jewel of all Paul's writing. Uh, in Paul's epistles and the other books, we see that he is often writing to specific churches or specific people, and he's writing to give uh, a response to specific issues that have been raised and uh, questions that have been posed to him. But here in Ephesians, we find something a little different. This is a summary, it seems, of Paul's theology. This is like Paul's like, uh, manifesto. This is his master class, if you will, of how to live the Christian life. And, uh, and so last week we talked a little bit about the book of Ephesians. We talked about how it wasn't originally written with chapters and verses like it is in our Bible today. Uh, those were added to help us uh, in about 1200 AD, uh, help the modern reader find. How many are glad that your, your Bible has verses in it? Chapters and verses kind of divvied up to help you find uh, what you're looking for. But, as we look at paul 's writing, we see this clear distinction it 's written almost in two parts, two symmetrical parts. The first part, chapter one to three, is a lot of theology it 's the orthodoxy it 's the belief that we hold as a Christian in chapters four to six, we find it 's more about the ethic, what we call it the orthopraxy or the behavior of those who follow Jesus. Uh, the first part 's about the privileges we have in Christ, and the second part is about the responsibility that goes along with being a believer. Uh, The first part's about the spiritual wealth that we have, the riches of Christ Jesus. And then the second part's about the walk. How do we live this out? And the first part's really about how God sees us in Christ. And the second part talks about how the world sees Christ in us. And so that's the book of Ephesians. And uh, the theme is that we're not who we used to be. Uh, we've been made new pastor adrian is going to talk about that next week but this is what we discover that new life in christ comes with new ways of living and so as followers of jesus we ask ourselves this question what do i allow to define me what what is the metric that i compare my life against or or what do i allow to speak into my life uh, do does what I believe affect and determine how I behave? What how what does this look like in my life? And and what we're going to see as we go through this book is really what began in the heavenlies. What God has initiated transfers to our home. He is, Paul's actually going to get very specific about how we live in our home life, how heaven touches our homes, and how it becomes this holistic uh, journey of following Jesus together. So let's pick up where we left off last week Ephesians 1, verse 15. Paul says this He says, Ever since I heard, or first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you. Constantly. So we've talked last week that, but Paul, he's got a little bit of passion. He's got a little bit of enthusiasm when he gets talking about God. And it's kind of infectious when you read through this book. And uh, over the course of these next nine weeks, I would just encourage you uh, to take some time to read through the book of Ephesians. Maybe you want to read a chapter a day, or it would be really great if you took, you know, maybe three hours or two hours it would probably take. And you could just sit down and read the whole book in one chunk. Uh, It's really enlightening that way. But, But Paul starts off this book, he's just gushing about God's greatness and grace. Remember last week we got our buffet pants on. We were like feed me Paul, right? He was just pumping out all this great stuff about God's greatness and grace and we talked about how uh, Paul is writing about the salvation work through Jesus Christ and uh, because of God's death, Christ's death and uh, resurrection that we are recipients of God's grace and we talked about how we are chosen, how we're adopted, how we are free and forgiven. That is the benefit or the inheritance that God has given us, and really the blessing, the wealth of being in Christ is that we get God, and when we get God, we get God's involvement in our life, and so Paul, he's pumped up. He's talking all about this, and now he turns his attention uh, away from God. Now he's beginning to address the people to whom he's writing this letter He says, ever since I heard of your strong faith, I haven't stopped thanking God for you, and I haven't stopped praying for you constantly. And so really, Paul has here the, the heart of a spiritual father. If you can imagine, he's given his life to preaching the gospel of Jesus. He, he planted this church about nine or ten years earlier, and now he's heard about, wow, I've heard of the great things happening uh, in, in the region uh, and people coming to faith and joining the church that I planted. And so he has this heart of a spiritual father, but he also has a heart of someone whose life is gospel-centered someone whose life is Jesus-focused and spirit-filled. And what we see as a result of that is that he has a life of praise and of prayer. How many know that in a world of cynics and critics, we need people who are filled with praise and prayer, right? And so Paul comes along, and, and, and remember Paul's situation in all of this. Where is he right now? He's in prison, but he hasn't allowed being in prison to discourage him. And he has this attitude of exhortation, of encouragement. He, he said, I want to live my life to propel people forward in what God has called them to. He hasn't allowed being in prison to turn himself inward to allow despair to take over, to allow pity to infect his heart. He's given his heart to encouraging others because he's fired up about God and what God wants to do in people. How many know we need people like that today? I believe the reason why that Paul lives this way even though he's in prison. He's saying, I just wanna testify to the goodness and the greatness of God. I know that I'm in a prison cell right now, but don't let that discourage you. And and I think the reason why he's able to live and to function this way is because he's had an experience himself. He's had a change of perspective that he's gonna talk about in just a second. And it's this change of perspective that he's praying for these believers in Jesus to experience for themselves. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 says, I pray for you constantly. What is it that you pray for us, Paul? He says, I ask God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe him. Now I want you to notice here that Paul's not praying that God would give them something they don't already have. Paul's not praying God give them more of something they lack. What Paul's praying here is, God, would you open their eyes and give them the perspective to see what they already have and what's already true about them. They don't need something new from God. They just need to see with new eyes what God has already given them. And so Paul prays for them. He says, I want you to have spiritual wisdom and insight. Now, maybe your version of the Bible says the spirit of wisdom. Either way, the spiritual wisdom is only accessed through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, as we read last week, who's been given to every believer of Jesus. The Bible says, as we read last week, that the spirit is a surety. It's a guarantee that what Christ has begun in us, he will bring to completion. A couple of weeks ago, I went to buy something on Kijiji and I was trying to like, you know, do an e-transfer and it wasn't going through. It, wasn't, it was taking too long and I, I had to go to the bank, you know, and I, it was a bike. I had bought a bike for uh, my kids and I already had it loaded up on the bike rack, you know. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to take it off the rack again. That's just a pain. And so I, I, I took my wallet and I took my iPhone and I gave it to the guy. I said, here, take this, right? This I'm going to go to the bank, but take this is like the game guarantee that i'm gonna come back and you know what i mean And, and it's almost like jesus says i'm giving you the holy spirit as a guarantee that what i've started in you i'm coming back to finish And so we see here that God's given us this guide, this helper, who helps us live this life. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as only a New Testament character, that character of the Trinity who showed up on the day of Pentecost and and filled believers everywhere. But we see the Old Testament recognizing this as the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the uh, The Old Testament foretells how it would be the Holy Spirit who would empower Jesus for his ministry. The Bible talks about Jesus as he stepped out of heaven and he became incarnate, that he gave up his deity or surrendered the rights that go with being God. It's almost like Jesus put on the, the man suit. If you can imagine, You've ever wore like a, a Halloween costume or something that was too tight, you know, you kind of get in it, you're kind of like constrained to the, whatever that suit was. And, and Jesus constrained himself to humanity. That's what incarnation was. Jesus didn't operate with the powers of God. He allowed those to be suspended at the time. But the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit upon him who enabled him to function in the calling and purpose of God. And the reason that Jesus did this is so that he could know and he could be our high priest. The Bible says that that Jesus knows in all ways that we're tempted. He he knows in all ways how it is for us to live according to God's will because he himself has lived it and he's modeled it. And so this is how we live under The power of God is through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we see this uh, in Isaiah 11 that says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's the Messiah, Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. So the Holy Spirit is empowering Jesus to do what God's called him to do. Jesus himself talked about the Holy Spirit in our lives. In John 14, it says, The Father will send the advocate as my representative. That is the Holy Spirit, and he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now, Paul, in another one of his writings to the Corinthians, he goes into more detail about how this works. 2nd uh, Corinthians 2, he says, It was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. Would you say that with me? Say by his spirit. By his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given to us. And so Paul's saying, you don't need more of it. You don't need something you're lacking. He's saying, you need to see clearly now what God has already given you. What's the purpose of this spiritual wisdom and insight? Is it so that we can, like, pass theology exams you know, is, is it so that we can feel accomplished as Christians? Like, wow, I've just really gone deep in my knowledge of God. Is it, is it so we can sit in judgment of those who have not yet been enlightened? No. It clearly says so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. You ever taken a course where you did all the classwork, all the book work, all the study work, and maybe you had to write a paper, maybe you had to write like the exam or at the end of it, uh, but then you still had to do like the practical hands-on test? It's like you had to do the practicum or the apprenticeship, and, and, and uh, you did all the classwork, but then you got hands-on experience. When Paul says here, I, I want you to grow in the knowledge of God, uh, the word for knowledge in Greek actually has four different forms, uh, four different ways, and we translate them all as knowledge or to know, uh, but, but one of them is, to, is gnosis. Gnosis is head knowledge. It's so like when you sit in the classroom and you learn the facts, right? And this is gnosis. To, I want you to know God. We want to we know the facts about God. We want to know the truth about God. But the word that Paul uses here is not gnosis, it's epinosis. And epinosis is when you take the facts and when the knowledge transfers from your head to your heart. How many of you know there's a difference between knowing something in your mind and knowing it in your heart? Paul's saying here, I want you to epinosis and grow in your epinosis of God. Uh, I want you to not just know the truth, but I want you to experience the truth of God. I say every parent, you know, it's when you're trying to coach your, your, your kid, you're trying to teach them. Uh, it's Mother's Day, so you know, this is all us moms, all us moms, why did I say moms? All of you moms and us parents, we, we know this, right? We're trying to coach and teach our kids, and what is their response? I know, right? It's funny how our kids know everything, right? But as a parent, we say to them, well, I feel like if you really knew that maybe you would respond or act differently, right? You know, you're like, it's cold outside. They're like, I know. Well, where's your coat? You know, it's kind of like these kind of things, right? Like we know, but if we really know, if we we gnosis, but when we epinosis, it really grips our heart. And, and so... Uh, You know, Paul's prayer isn't just to have this uh, heart knowledge alone either. But he's talking about connecting our heart and our head together to continue growing and experience the lived truth of what they already believed in. I heard it once said, and you might have heard this too, that if it's all head, you're going to dry up. If it's all heart, you're going to blow up. And if it's head and heart, then you're going to grow up. Right? All head, that's like intellectualism. All heart, that's emotionalism. But when you put those two things together, you experience the fullness of who God is. Author and pastor J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, he, he says, A wise man has said that your Christian life is like a three-legged stool. The legs are doctrine, experience, and practice, which is obedience. And you will not stay upright unless all these three are there. In recent years, many Christians have not kept these three together. He's talking that it's important to know your knowledge of God, growing in the truth of what God says, your theology. He says it's important to grow in your experience of God, putting yourself in the presence of God. But it's also important, he adds here that third leg of, of putting into practice. How does this affect my life? How does this change how I live? And so Paul prays for spiritual wisdom and insight so that we would grow in our knowledge of God through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called. Now, this week I did a little bit of quick research, and uh, I was trying to read more about the relationship between light and vision. And uh, what I have to report to you today is that I didn't understand any of it. All I know is that light is crucial to vision. We've all experienced that, right? We cannot see in the dark. Rods and receptors and all kinds of stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe you know more than I do. But this is what John 3 19 says It says that God's light, Jesus, came into the world, but people love the darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sin will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light. Light is crucial to sight and Paul says that, I pray that your heart will be flooded with light. Why? So that we can understand the confident hope that God has given to us. Here's something that I've learned about hope. Hope leaks. I don't know about you, I don't know if you, a lot of campers, I know people who love to camp in the the church and uh, I've never owned an air mattress that didn't end up leaking. I'm just saying, if someone could invent an air mattress that doesn't end up leaking, you would be a millionaire, I'm sure, right? It's like you go to bed, you go to sleep, and you're just riding high and comfortable, and then you wake up and you are low and on the ground, sore and achy. You're flat and deflated. Hope leaks. Hope leaks. Every day we're faced with news and stories and reports and circumstances that deflate our hope. Maybe it's a hope for our future we wonder, where is this world going? Maybe it's hope for our kids' future. It's hope for the economy, hope for the environment, and hope for humanity at all. And we just look, and it's easy for hope to be deflated. And, and, and one way to, defi- uh, to deal with deflating hope is just not to set your expectations very high. Don't get your hopes up, right? If I just don't hope for anything, then I won't be disappointed. Anyone ever lived with someone like that? It was like, ah, it's like that Eeyore. Remember Winnie the poo and Eeyore? Ah, you know, I just figured it's going to be bad. How could Paul, in prison for preaching about Jesus, be compelling these followers of Jesus to hold on to hope? How could he be sitting in a prison cell going, Guys, it's so great following Jesus. It's so amazing. It's so freeing. How could he do it? Because, uh, in the face of deflating hope, his hope inside of him wasn't susceptible or dependent on what was going on around him. The hope inside of him wasn't dependent on what was going on around him. I have this thing at our house. It's called an air track. It's like an a gymna- like a, a air mattress for gymnastics. It's like heavy duty. And, uh, and when I blow it up, what I've noticed is that depending on what the circumstances are, depending on what the weather is, when it's really hot out, it swells and it's full. And then when it gets cold, the air contracts, and it becomes soft and squishy. It's dependent on what's happening around us. How many know that our hope inside of us should not be dependent on the circumstances happening around us? Our hope isn't based on our circumstances changing. Our hope isn't based on conditions improving or in life's storm stopping. Christian hope is actually founded on something different. It's founded in the historical event. Christian hope is founded in something that's already happened, that we draw strength from and courage from, and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation for Christian hope. It's the linchpin that Christian faith is based on. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless Today we better just go home and have Mother's Day brunch early. Because if Christ hasn't been raised, none of what I'm saying today matters. And we apostles, he said, we'd be lying about God and you'd still be guilty in your sins. The resurrection is the foundation or the linchpin for our Christian faith and hope. Everything we believe as Christian rests on it. Uh, Tim Keller, he says this. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. This is the linchpin of our faith. How can you have confidence and reliability in the resurrection today? How can we, in 2022, believe in the resurrection? How can we know that it's not a myth or a legend that's grown over time? It might be surprising to you to know that Jesus' resurrection is the most recorded, the single most uh, testified to event of all of history. Uh, We have more written information and more documentation of the resurrection of Jesus dating really close to the time in which it happened, more than any other event in history. Now, just take a moment right now and reflect back to 30 years ago. Now, I don't know what date that put you to. When I think of 30 years ago, I think of like 1970. I don't know why. 30 years ago was 1992, right? How many of you are like, oh my gosh, you know, I just lost decades of my life there, right? 1992, that was not too long ago. How many were around in 1992? A lot of us, yeah, okay, some of us weren't. But you're around 92, how many remember these news stories from 92? How many remember the Exxon Valdez oil spill? Anyone remember that? Right? Uh, Anyone remember the riots in LA surrounding the Rodney King trials? Right? Remember that? Anyone remember NAFTA, the signing of the North American Free Trade Agreement with Canada, Mexico, and the United States? How many remember Bill Clinton defeating George Bush Senior as uh, President of the United States? Right? How many remember that CDs passed cassette tapes for sales for the first time ever? How many are still rocking cassette tapes and CDs in your car today? Right? Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I remember as a kid growing up in in 1992, how many remember the world champion Toronto Blue Jays winning the World Series, bringing it to Canada back in 1992, right? You remember all that? That's like not too long ago. And for perspective, that's the time period that Paul is writing to from the death and resurrection of Jesus to the people he's writing to today. And why that's important is that this wasn't a a later edition, this wasn't a legend of Jesus that grew over time. As Paul pens this letter, he's writing to them 30 years later about something that was so public. something that was done in the open. The Bible says that hundreds of people reported seeing the resurrected Jesus. Over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Jesus after his crucifixion eyewitnesses who could at the time still go back and be corroborated with. The Bible says that James, Jesus' uh, brother, was a skeptic of his. So you Imagine your own brother going like, hey, I'm the son of God. You're like, I highly doubt it, right? <laughs> that was what James' relationship was. But something happened in James' life that he actually became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. The skeptic was now professing. Outside of the Bible, if you were to look outside the Bible, uh, ancient authors like Clement and Polycarp, they write about, they don't have an opinion on whether Jesus was God or not, but they were writing about something definitely happened. Uh, Something was transformational in this time because there were hundreds and thousands of Jewish followers who suddenly began pursuing a different way of worship and a different message. Something was happening in history. Hope isn't based on our circumstances changing. Hope isn't based on our conditions improving or a life storm stopping. Hope is founded in a historical event that's already happened. Because it's already happened, we say the same God who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That's the foundation for our hope. That's where we draw strength and courage to face life circumstances and situations unafraid. We see next that Paul comes to his third part of prayer. He prays for God's power for us. Verse 19. He says, I pray that you'll understand this incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Can you sense his passion? He senses passion, he's like, he's like a spiritual parent. He's like, I just want you to know the fullness of who God is and who he is and you. Do you see it? And we're like, yeah, yeah, Paul, we get it. He's like, yeah, yeah, but, but do you really get it? Do you really get it? Paul, verse 21, now Christ is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And this is what we've really seen as the, the key of God's plan and purpose. Everything, everywhere under the authority of Christ. Jesus over everything. Jesus sits on the throne of heaven with all authority and power and we are his body, his representatives to this world. We bring the presence of God everywhere we go in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We are living in a world that needs the wisdom of God. They need the insight that only the Holy Spirit can bring. We are living in a world that needs the light of Christ and the hope of the resurrection, the power of God at work. We need, are living in a world where the, we need the church to be Christ's ambassadors coming alongside the purposes of God, who've been made new, and who live in a new way of living. Now, I was reflecting this week, as I was preparing this message about, uh, just right before the pandemic, I was at a pastor's retreat, and we had our families with us, and a bunch of our friends were in a hotel room, and someone had brought a virtual reality goggle. They brought an Oculus device. Anyone ever, ever done virtual reality? You're familiar with the Oculus or something similar? And we were just having a riot in this hotel room because what would happen is someone would put on this goggles and this goggles would introduce a new dimension, a new reality. Mm-hmm. What you would sense is that you were seeing something different than what everyone else was seeing. And because you saw something different, you would act differently. And so we have people looking in these 3D goggles, these virtual reality, and they would be looking around. And then you know, so the, the plan, the, the the simulation was that you're supposed to get into an elevator and go to the top of a of a skyscraper and so you would see people, and they'd be looking and they'd be going in the elevator and pressing buttons on the elevator. You know, and we're on a hotel room and this is exactly what it looks like. You know, they'd be getting in the elevator, and then you get out of the the door elevator door would open and then there was a plank. And the plank, you're supposed to walk out on the plank. And you're supposed to walk to the end of the, and so we have people, and they're we're in the hotel room, but there's people, and they're like walking across the plank in the hotel room, you know, trying not to fall off. And one of our friends, you know, she's really like not in the heights at all. Uh, and so she's down on her hands and knees, and she's like, she's crawling. Now the funniest thing is she is a germaphobe. She hates dirt, but here she is on the hotel floor, you know, crawling out to the edge of the plank. And so what I was really reminded of is that there's virtual reality introduced a new dimension. That you were seeing something that no one else was seeing. So you acted in a way that was different than everyone else was acting. And we were laughing about it, having fun. But I was reminded today that as as believers, Paul's not saying, I want you to see in virtual reality. I want you to see in spiritual reality. I want you to see what the world's not seeing. I want you to see clearly what God has done in you and what God wants to do through you. And because you're seeing something different, you're gonna act different. You're gonna function different. You're gonna be the light and the life of Jesus Christ to this world. And so that's my prayer for us this morning. In just a moment, we're gonna celebrate communion together. If you have your communion cup, you can get it ready. And and as we do, I I just want to take a moment right now, and as the band leads us in worship, would, would you just take a moment and say, God, would you open my eyes to see fully and clearly what you've done in me and through me? Help me to see with spiritual wisdom and insight what you've done. Maybe you're here, and you've been looking at your life the same way for so long, it is positively or negatively, either way, but you've had a hard time seeing Jesus in it. Maybe you're here and you've been looking at your circumstances the same way for so long that you feel like your hope has been deflating. Maybe you've been focused on on settling into this leisurely way of life and you've been living without that spiritual purpose and passion to what uh, Paul's talking about. This morning we just say, God, would you reveal to us afresh the fullness of who you are.